Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, Dr. Ross Green here. We are back after a uh, week off. I'm joined by my uh, co-host, Susie Porton, and we are here once again to answer questions, talk about stuff. Susie, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Dr. Green? I am well. Did you rest um, up? Did I rest up to the degree that I am capable of doing so? Yes. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, yes, I actually think that I rested a little bit. Great. Yes. Um, we have a bunch of uh, email that we haven't gotten to over the past few programs. We do not have a caller yet. Let me remind people of the phone number. It's 347-994-2981. Then please press 1. Anything that you wanted to start with today? Um, well, we have a few announcements. Um, let's see. About You have a couple of trainings coming up, one um, out in British Columbia, right? Yeah, that's Wednesday and Thursday. Yeah, and then um, you're coming to Oakville, Ontario, which I'm going to try to get to. And you have a special parents' presentation that evening of uh, May 12th in Orangeville, Ontario. Yeah, that's for parents. Yeah, and um, on Thursday, May 5th, you... um, We'll be conducting a free webinar. Um, yes, through Presence Learning. That's on the website as well. Unfortunately, I'm told that it is fully enrolled. I think they had a capacity for 7,000, and they can't enroll anymore. But people oh can still gosh. try. Great. And it also you have another book coming out. I think it is now out. I think it is now out. If Amazon.com is the um, is the uh, gauge by which these things are judged, then Lost and Found is now available. Oh, great! That's that's good to know. I uh, checked with our local bookstore, and they told me May fifth, but um, I'll check on Amazon. Interesting. I have my copy already. I was told May 5th, but um, it might be out. Mm -hmm. Anyways, if it's not out, it's close to being out. And um, 
It's the follow-up to Lost at School. I'm excited about it and excited about the one that's coming out in August called Raising Human Beings. Yeah, I look forward to both. There's a lot going on. There always is. Um, there always is. I have a question is. that Please. I thought of over the weekend, um, and I wanted to run it by you. Forgive me if it sounds scripted because I wrote it down. Here goes. Traditionally, child psychologists and others looking at challenging children have focused on disciplining and consequences for kids who appear to be acting out at home or at school. What is it that caused you to start thinking outside the box and begin looking at lagging skills and unsolved problems as the way to help these children? Was there a light bulb moment or did it occur to you over time? Interesting question. Um, What caused me to start doing things differently is the recognition that what I was trained to do uh, wasn't working very well for a meaningful percentage of the kids and families with whom I was working. Um, And that prompted me to take a look at what I was doing and rethink things a little bit. Um, and then, of course, it was also extremely hard to ignore the research that was accumulating on behaviorally challenging kids that was telling us that they were lacking skills, not motivation. Mm-hmm. And so it was the combination of those two things, I would say. Number one, recognizing that what I was doing wasn't working for a meaningful percentage of kids and families and teachers and etc. Mm-hmm. And number two, the research is very compelling Behaviorally challenging kids are lacking skills, not motivation. Those were the two biggies. Thank you. There you have it. The long and the short of it. (sighs) Let us turn our attention to some email. Finally, at long last, here we go. Um, This one says, hello, I've been following Dr. Green for some time now, and I've read Lost at School. Our problem is that we have a soon-to-be middle schooler who has ADHD and behavioral issues. What environment is right for him? In public school, they put him in a special day class where he was verbally and physically abused. Can you point us in the right direction? Well, one thing's for certain. Any environment that is verbally and physically abusing him is the wrong environment. Um, And it's hard to sort of provide an algorithm for the right environment in terms of public, private, charter, because every school is different, whether it's public or private or charter. Uh, There are private schools that would be verbally and physically abusive toward a kid. Um, There are public schools that are capable of it. I I assume that there are charter schools that are capable of it. What we're looking for is uh, people who have the right lenses on and understand that behavioral issues are the result of lagging skills and that those lagging skills give rise to unsolved problems and that the main thing we should be doing with behaviorally challenging kids is helping them, partnering with them, to solve the problems that are affecting their lives, Um, helping them figure out what's making it hard for them to meet our expectations. Of course, that's called the empathy step of plan B. 
helping them understand what our concerns are about them not meeting the expectations. Of course, that's called the define adult concerns step of Plan B. And then collaborating on solutions that will address the concerns of both parties. You're also looking for a school that recognizes that detentions and suspensions and expulsions and discipline referrals and keeping a kid in from recess don't do those things. Um, You're looking for a school filled with human beings who recognize that the best way to help kids learn is through the relationships that we have with them and who try to work on those relationships and on a whole variety of other important skills throughout the day and not just in the first 15 minutes of every day. Um, We will be putting out in uh, tandem with the release of Raising Human Beings, Lives in the Balance will be putting out a curriculum for schools. Whether it's going to be free or not remains to be seen, but it will be available through Lives in the Balance. We'll find a way for it to be free for anyone who can't afford it, of course, Um, And I am writing it in collaboration with my very good friends at Central School in South Berwick, Maine, uh, one of the most humane school buildings you'd ever want to be in. It's going to be for all grade levels. um, And it's going to be about how you embed humanity into the very fabric of the building. Um, And once again, not just in the first 15 minutes of every day, but throughout every day and throughout every lesson. So... Uh, That's my long-winded treatise on what environment is right for him. I'm sorry I can't give you much more guidance than that in terms of geographically. I'm not sure where you are or what your options are. But uh, Susie has had some kids in schools where they were not necessarily treated as well as she and her husband might have hoped. I'm betting Susie can weigh on in this as well. Uh, I believe I can. Uh, I would suggest meeting with the guidance counselor and um, possibly the school psychologist this spring um, and bring in a copy of Lost in School um, and, the, and the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems um, to meet with those people and explain your kid um, so that you're doing this proactively uh, before problems arise. Um, uh, as our listeners have heard me said a few times before, my son had permission to, if he was getting frustrated in class, um, he had permission to leave quietly leave the classroom and go down to the guidance counselor's office and calm himself down, and then he would return to the class. Um, Just little things, uh, such as sitting close to the teacher, sitting in the front of the room. Um, Perhaps they can also get an extra set of class notes uh, from a student who uh, takes good notes. Maybe the guidance counselor could meet with their child and help organize assignments uh, two or three times a week. And uh, staggered deadlines also helped our our situation. They 
the school wasn't great and it and it took a while. I really had to be a squeaky wheel about it and advocate for my child, but they did um implement a few things that that helped. And that's that's what they did. Now let me push this a little harder. Mhm. What were you looking for? I was looking for them to to view our children's problems as lagging skills and unsolved problems, not motivation. They felt that I was coddling my children um that I was creating brats out of them, um, that, you know, this was my child's idea of a fun time, and I was just sort of being manipulated. So um, I was looking for understanding and support um and helping me try to solve the problems that were coming up during the school day there you go let's move on to another one shall we sure This one says, we have a wonderful six-year-old who just entered kindergarten this year, has always been very bright and a little socially awkward with kids his age. When he was in preschool, he would have occasional problems with transitions, but we felt that most of that was due to his young age. His teachers also didn't feel there was a problem then. Now that he's in kindergarten, a class of 26 kids with a teacher and one assistant, we have seen him exhibit many of the behaviors you talk about while he was at school, while he is at school. He has meltdowns and will refuse to do the work or hide under his desk, and it can take them an hour to get him to calm down. We don't see behaviors like this at home. He will occasionally have minor meltdowns, but they are very, but they very rarely last more than a minute or two. Now that we are approaching the end of the year and have met with the principal, teacher, and guidance counselor many times, we are beginning to see some of these behaviors at home as well as some behaviors that we feel are stress-related due to his kindergarten experiences. We are currently looking at an alternative school like a Montessori. Since we tend to see almost all of these issues at school, and I have my doubts about their willingness to try Plan B, I was wondering what you would suggest in this situation since it seems to be the opposite of what many others are experiencing. Hmm. Well, it is true that um, having a kid who does not um, get upset at home and does get up at school is the most rare of the um, possible configurations, the most common, upset at home and not at school, second most common, upset in both places, least common, but certainly not unheard of, upset at school and not at home. But what I'm hearing is that he does get upset at home. He does have meltdowns at home. They just don't last as long, and they aren't as intense. Here's what's interesting. 
when I go back to one of the key themes of the CPS model, um, people look bad when the demands being placed upon them outstrip their skills. Um, and that's resonating with me here because it sounds like the demands of preschool did not outstrip his skills to a degree that caused him to become supremely upset in preschool. But in kindergarten, it sounds like the demands being placed upon him, at least under some conditions, some demands, are outstripping his capacity to respond adaptively, and then he... Um, refuses to do the work or hides under his desk, and it can take them an hour to get him to calm down. Um, I'm pondering what it is that they are doing to try to help him calm down, given that it's taking an hour, but much more important than that is to take a look at the expectations that he's having difficulty meeting that are precipitating that behavior. Um, I don't know if they are going to do Plan B, since I don't know the school that you are referring to. Um, there are all kinds of different schools out there that you could choose as alternatives. Um, I don't tend to recommend one brand such as Montessori or Waldorf or whatever over any others because I have actually found that Montessori schools, though they are operating from the same philosophy, do differ from one another. Um, Waldorf schools, that they are, though they are operating from the same philosophy, do differ from each other. And it's interesting that we're kind of talking about the same answer as what we were talking about with the prior emailer. We need a school that's going to take a look at expectations your child is having difficulty meeting and collaborate with him on solving those problems. Um, and not rely on what's going on in the heat of the moment to get the job done. I'm not positive that I would give up on plan B. I don't know what's gone on in all those meetings that you've had with the principal, teacher, and guidance counselor. Um, it's plausible that the behaviors you're now seeing at home are due to what's going on at school. I've certainly seen that happen. It's also possible that the demands at home have increased somewhat, and he's letting us know that he's having difficulty meeting some of those as well. Um, I'm feeling the need here, before you think about a school, to think about the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, to take a real close look at the skills your son is lacking and the expectations he's having difficulty meeting, um, and especially it sounds like that's happening at school, though it's happening somewhat at home, just not quite as extreme in terms of the reaction. And if need be, to seek out a um, mental health professional, perhaps a neuropsychologist, to do an evaluation so that you can get the total picture on your son and start to understand what might be getting in the way of him meeting those expectations that he is responding badly to when he's having trouble meeting them. That information might be very helpful when it comes to selecting a school, and it might give you the information you're looking for to present to a future school or a potential school and say, here's my kid. Um, tell me if you all think you can deal with this. Those are my thoughts based on the email. Susie, any thoughts? Well, I agree with you I, uh, about the – with all of it um, – I was going to say um, to focus in on the 
assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems as well um, to to make your list of two or three unsolved problems at home and try to work through them, to practice them at home. Um, I would also recommend your book, The Adventures of Stretch More. Um, it, it's helpful for the child as well as the parents. Um, and I would even try again with the principal. Um, I found I found um, trying again often helped my case. They, you know, just like a child, they might automatically say no. But if you were persistent and came back and and showed that this process is working and how it's working. Um, at home, that it helps to try again. And there you have it. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's move on to another one. We have no callers, and I'm sad about that. I'll give the number again, 347-994-2981, but I'm not that sad about it because we are finally getting our way through some email here. And press 1. This one says... And press 1. This one says, hello, I've been looking through your materials to see if you have any content for how to use the CPS model in addressing adolescent drug use, for example, marijuana. I haven't been able to find anything yet. Uh, If you can point me toward any relevant materials, either scenarios from parents or educators or relevant articles and chapters, I'd appreciate it very much. I actually can't remember if there is anything in on the website or in any of the books that are specific to drug use. But to tell you the truth, I've worked with a lot of kids who were using drugs, and it's not any different. Um, The caregivers in their lives need to be clear about what their expectations are before we know if the kid is having difficulty meeting them. So, for example... If the expectations of the parents is 100% total abstinence from all substances and a kid is 100% abstinent from all substances, then we do not have an unsolved problem. The kid is meeting the expectation. Um, If a kid is using substances and the parents are okay with recreational substance use on weekends so long as it doesn't affect school performance, that's different expectation. If the kid is meeting that expectation and only using recreational drugs on weekends and it is not affecting school performance, um, we have a met expectation. We still don't have an unsolved problem. But like any other unsolved problem, if a kid is having difficulty meeting an expectation, we have three options, plans A, B, and C. Plan C, set it aside for now because you have bigger fish to fry, or because you are hoping your child will self-correct after a brief period of uh, using substances in ways that do not meet your expectations. Plan A is imposing a unilateral solution. Um, Good luck with that, but 
I suppose you can try. It's going to be ugly, and it's probably not going to work. And then there's plan B. This is where you are discussing the unmet expectation with your child and applying the three steps of plan B. The empathy step will give you a very clear sense of your child's concern or perspective on that unsolved problem. In the define adult concerns step, you'll be providing with your child with a very clear sense of your concern or perspective on that unmet expectation. And in the invitation, you all will be trying to collaborate on solutions that are realistic and mutually satisfactory that address the concerns of both parties. Um, a kid who's having difficulty meeting expectations when it comes to drug use, uh, that unsolved problem is no different than a kid who's having difficulty emptying the dishwasher, if that's the expectation. A kid who's having difficulty brushing his teeth, if that's the expectation. Um, I've worked with parents whose expectation was that it was fine if the kid used substances, but only in the home, so that the kid didn't get arrested. That's a different expectation. So caregivers have to decide what their expectations are. And yes, I get it. In many places, marijuana is still illegal. Parents still have to decide what their expectations are on that. There are many parents out there who, despite the fact that substances are illegal, are okay with their kids using certain substances and draw the line on others. Um, that's a parental decision. Susie? I bet you can weigh in on this, too. <laughs> um, yes, this is a very difficult issue. I I still believe it is. Um, mm -hmm. We had clear expectations that uh, it was not a good thing to do, um, that it was health and safety, and our son was very, very casual about drug use. And, in fact, he used um, stimulants to compensate for his smoking marijuana. Um, I We made it very clear that we didn't want to have it around our house. Um, we just did not approve. Um, and that was very plan A, and that did not work out very well. Um, in that instance, the way I would handle it now is, of course, um, using plan B and having having many conversations about it um and trying to work out a solution uh not just imposing our will but as i said it's it's very difficult now um we don't want substances in around our home is an expectation. If he had difficulty meeting that expectation, you would have had to choose a plan. Um, and I agree that it's a really tough issue because you have the law, 
Mm-hmm. And I'm certainly not recommending that people break the law, although many kids and adults do on this issue. It's also a potentially extremely dangerous issue. We don't want anybody, kids included, driving under the influence uh, or doing anything else that requires their brain under the influence. And yet, we know that they do. And so just like any other expectation that a kid is having difficulty meeting, we have to decide, are we going to set it aside? Are we going to impose a solution that we probably can't impose? Or are we going to try to solve that problem using plan B? And um, I find that plan B is the most viable course of action. The fact that use of substances is illegal and dangerous does not point us toward plan A. It could just as easily point us toward plan B. Plan B is not softer. Plan B is not easier. In many instances, the solutions we come up with in plan B on this issue are a whole lot more effective than the ones we are coming up with and imposing in plan A. So, Quite frankly, the more important the expectation, the more important it is that we use a problem-solving strategy that's going to be effective in solving the problem. That doesn't point me toward plan A. This is the amazing thing. People often think if it's really important, then you impose your will. Whatever happens, happens. I don't share that philosophy. If it's really important, you use the problem-solving strategy that's going to work the best And I find that plan A frequently doesn't work the best. We have a caller. Great. Area code 620, you are on the air. What's up today? Hey, good morning, Dr. Green and Susie. How are y'all? Hello. Well, how are you? We're always happy to hear from you. Thank you. I do want to just follow up with um, a positive report because I try to balance my positive reports with needs <laughs> and questions. <laughs> so, we have, um, I've been calling in for, gosh, almost three years now. It'll be three years in November. I can't even believe it. But um, we have seen yet another step forward in our now 13-year-old son who is um, getting ready to graduate from middle school. I can't believe that either. Um, So we're headed into transitioning to a new building and new administrators and new teachers, but that will be another phone call. Um, Last weekend um, on the college campus where my husband and I teach, our music department hosts a festival for middle school children that have started playing instruments and singing. And our son is involved as a horn player in his band. And during this festival, the whole 7th and 8th grade band was scheduled to perform for the judges in a large uh, ballroom in the student center. And my son, um, from early that morning, was saying over and over again that he did not feel like he could be successful playing with the band because of the volume of the room. He knows that room because he's been in it before um, and knows how loud it can be. And so he woke up in the morning saying, I'm going to play my horn solo, but I'm not going to play with the band. And uh, so he got dressed 
and got up and met all his friends for the band rehearsal and rehearsed with the band, warmed up, walked into the performance space and looked at the helper for the, the band director who was the high school band director and said, I can't do this. I cannot succeed in this volume here. I need to leave this room, please. And my husband and I were right there next to the high school band director who was trying to let him know that, yes, you can, you can do this, we're a team, don't let your team down. And my son stood his ground and said, I need for you to listen to my needs. I need to leave this room, please. And he walked out of the room, I followed him, and he felt he felt sad that he wasn't participating, but he kept saying over and over again, I'm so proud of myself because I have let my needs be known. And that feels like a huge success to me. That's my point. As it should. It's Um, a huge success to him. He did play his solo later in the day um, mm -hmm. and uh, did a very nice job with it, as promised. He said he would, and he did. And at the end of the day, when I said, what was your favorite part of the festival? And he said that I let my needs be known and that I played my solo. And I'm so proud of the little guy. So for parents that are just working on figuring out this, this model and this approach to letting things go until you can address them proactively and being really, really actively aware of when you do go plan A on your kids, just know that it is so worth it down the road when your child has the ability to be proud for making their needs known without freaking out, without getting aggressive, without, you know, squelching back how they feel, but honestly just saying, I need this. It's and great. Holding to it. Yeah, it's it's just absolutely terrific that he can advocate for himself and and got what he needed at that time. Well, that's really one of my top goals as he gets closer and closer to adulthood, that instead of freaking out, that he learns how to say to the people around him, I'm, I need X, Y, and Z, you know, and articulate it clearly and then be able to follow through on those needs as often as possible or ask for a conversation about it when when he can. Right. You know, you're, uh, well, first of all, what would he have done five years ago under similar circumstances? Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, no, he, he would have, what we would have labeled acted out, thrown a tantrum, um, you know, uh, called attention upon himself by shouting, yelling, hitting, um turning bright red, um, just working himself up in a frenzy so that the ultimate goal is for us to remove him. He would do whatever it took to get us to get him out of where he didn't want to be, using those really, really useful tools that he used to use. And, as, you know, honestly, every once in a while they're still creeping up, but we're we don't take it personally anymore, and we remind him that there's a better way, and that he can communicate what his needs are. And he's learning those skills. Yep. Those positive skills. Yep. I think something interesting also about 
what you're talking about is that, you know, in those circumstances, if you can't use your words or if you do not feel free to use your words, one option is to explode, but another is to just squelch your concerns. Kind of uh, evidence of the fact that this model is not just for exploders, it is also for imploders because they are basically born of the exact same thing. Right. Uh, expectations that one is having difficulty meeting. Um, there's a whole lot of imploders out there who are squelching what they're thinking and squelching their concerns and putting other people's concerns first. Um, right. It's a big step forward, not just for the exploders, but also for the imploders to be able to let people know, here's what's going on with me, and I kind of got to take care of myself so this doesn't get ugly. Um, that's a great skill to have, otherwise things get ugly. Well, we own one of those imploders, too. That's my exploder's younger brother. Yep. All in that category. And so um, we, use, we use Plan Bs and remind our youngest, who is now 11, um, very much of the the parallel that he has with his brother just at the opposite end of it, where he holds it all in, and then at the point that it does have to explode, it, it is um, in some ways even worse to what happens with his brother. Absolutely. We so, also had uh, an explosive child, and then our youngest imploded, and um, in some ways... You're spot on. It is worse. Yep. Yeah. Well, the, one of the nice the, things about exploders is that you, you generally speaking, have an idea that something's the matter. Imploders right. don't always let you know. Sorry, what, what were you going to say? No, you're absolutely right. I was going to say something along those lines. It's it's much more difficult to put to put those lagging skills together because you don't see them. You don't see it boiling up. You only see it after several things have happened, and then you have to trace back the steps. And um, the the empathy step is really, really hard with that because there's a lot of digging to be done. And there are kids who hold their cards very close to their chest. Um for any variety of reasons, sometimes siblings of explosive kids hold their cards close to their chest because, number one, they've become accustomed to it. There wasn't enough space in the family with the explosive kid being so expressive about um, displeasure. Um, sometimes siblings have to sort of go underground, not because they want to, but just because the family can't handle anything else. But there are also siblings who feel like they can't express them because if they do, they will incur the wrath of their explosive sibling. Neither right. an ideal circumstance, but um, not surprising that we've got two examples here of exploders and imploders in the same household. Right. Well, in the you know, I am committed to the proactive aspect of this model um, to the point where um, when I when I get 
even a little hint that something has happened with my youngest son that is causing him to hold things in, I bring up the importance of being proactive with expressing feelings and having conversations and putting at least putting the information out there so that we as parents can watch it as it accumulates. And when when my child comes home and starts mentioning that there something happened at recess um, and it involved a couple of his buddies or something, I my ears perk up and I already go into kind of digging mode even if he doesn't he isn't exactly aware that we're in a plan B situation, I'm already accumulating information. <laughs> So that when the next thing happens and the next thing happens, that I'm able to help him connect the dots without being assumptive about it, you know, because I've got little bits of the story here and there. But, the yeah, the proactive nature of this model, I think, is um, needs to be articulated again and again. And, I, and to be honest, that still continues to be at the top of my son's um, my explosive child's uh, functional behavior plan on his IEP, the very first statement continues to be a proactive approach with his child um, sets him up for success. And I, uh, as we go into the high school, I'm continuing to uh, hold that flag up. As I was just explaining this morning to some of my good friends in the juvenile detention system in the state of Maine, if you don't do this proactively, and that's the hard part of the model because you need to be organized to do it proactively. You've got to sort of be committed to it, um, to do it outside of the heat of the moment. But as we talked about, then if, if you're using it only in the heat of the moment, you're not getting anywhere nearly as much bang out of the model as you could. Um, got to be proactive, but that's the hard part because being proactive about anything requires commitment and organization. And you are a wonderful example of what things can look like um, with people who are very committed to their kid, to the model, to doing the right thing. Um, and what you have to show for it is um, quite wonderful. Well, I'm so grateful for it. And I just I have to be honest with myself that he cannot function in the heat of the moment. Not at all. Most of us don't do very well in the heat of the moment. Exactly. I Mm -hmm. look terrible in the heat of the moment, you know, and I've, I've been able to be more honest with myself about when I hit my walls because of this. So I'm so grateful for this that as I meet new adults that will be in charge of my son, you know, I I keep saying this out loud. If you set him up to have to answer your questions in the heat of the moment, you will see him at his worst, and it won't be all his fault. It takes two to tango. You know, there and you I have it. To, yep, that's it. That's all I got for you today. <laughs> well, that's that's plenty. Uh, Susie, anything to add to any of that? Yeah, just I wanted to compliment you on, you know, doing the right thing and being such a good parent. And and it does take a lot of energy um, with your family when you have a challenging kid, an, an explosive child, and to um, 
triage and to balance that with um, your other children and significant other, um, I just give you so much credit for having patience and understanding and, and viewing your children through the lens of uh, lagging skills and unsolved problems. Thank you. That means a lot. I, I really appreciate it. And don't worry, I'll be calling with issues and questions too. <laughs> but I, I've learned to just celebrate every single step of this, and I, I want I want to say it out loud as often as I can because, you know, for every single struggle, we're seeing steps forward too. And that's what um, it is. It's baby steps forward. Yep. It's a process. The, the journey continues. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. We're always glad to hear from you. Thank you for calling in. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. And, Susie, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, We don't have enough time to answer another email. So thank you, as always, for doing this. We're back again next week, yes? Yes. Outstanding. Talk to you then. Yes. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.